Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Take your Bibles and um, turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. That's where we're going to sit most of our time today. And uh, we're continuing um, our series on prayer this morning. And um, to to begin today, I asked um, Ariana, my oldest daughter, to come up and uh, help me. For a second. And so, uh, Ari, uh, uh, here's what's going to happen. Um, uh, when I say go, I want you to start. And when I say stop, I want you to stop. Okay? Alright? You got it? When I say go, you go. And when I say stop, you stop. You, I, just When I say go, just go. Okay? I don't know what to do. Wait, wait, here, can you turn this off? What did you say? I don't know what to do. Well, I'm going to say go. Okay, you ready? Okay. On your mark, get set, go. I don't know what to do. <laughs> you don't know what to do. <laughs> okay, all right. You've proven the first point. Now, I'm curious, um, Ari, if I told you right now that I want you to pray, what would you do? Pray. Just pray. Okay, all right. Would you like to pray for us this morning to start us off? Okay, hold that. You you can pray for us, okay? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that we have a good morning today, that my dad would know the right words to say during the service. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thanks, Harry. You can go have a seat, okay? All right. Now, I I had her do that for a couple of reasons, okay? One... Um, this whole series is focused on this idea of, Lord, teach us to pray. And, and it, the, the very title of the series assumes that there's many of us who struggle with this idea of prayer. And I would venture to guess that uh, over 95% of you would recognize that prayer works in some manner. That in some way, shape, or form, prayer is important That it's important in the life of the church, it's important in the life of the individual believer, that it's important in the life of families, and yet, so often, one of my deepest convictions, as one of your shepherds here, is that we have told you, just pray, go and do it, and just like Ariana up here when I said, when I say go, go, when I say stop, stop, you're standing there going, I, I don't know what to do. Now, some of us have kind of filled in the gaps, and so we've developed patterns and routines of our own. And many of you, I know this for a fact because I am easily guilty of this, and I've grown up in a home where we easily were guilty of this. It becomes easy to kind of have the staple prayer that happens at given times of the day, right? 
where we sit down at a meal and it's the same thing and it has been the same thing for 50 years. Right? And the same is true when we tuck our kids into bed or when we uh, go to sleep ourselves or when we start our day that we get in these ruts, church, where we have even convinced ourselves that we know what prayer is without ever stopping to really consider, how do I pray? And what I love about the special revelation of Scripture is God has given us instruction in this. But we've got to unpack it if we're going to actually be able to answer the question, how do I pray? And in the last several weeks, we have uh, gone through this. Uh, we have looked at uh, why should we pray. Uh, we've looked at how do I pray when I'm in distress. Um, today, I specifically want to focus on this question of how do I pray when I don't know how? How do I do this? And if we're honest, every one of us would love the opportunity to just open up to a book of the Bible with our own name on it that details every aspect of how we should walk this life. Every one of us has had days like that where we're going, man, if there was a verse in the Bible that just tell me what to do, this would be so much easier. And you're not wrong. But you know what's also true? If there was a verse in the Bible that communicated to you every single thing you needed to do and how you were to live, you would have zero need to depend on your Father in Heaven. If you knew every single thing that was going to unfold and you knew every single response that was going to take place in your life, you inadvertently become God of your own life. You see... In the seasons of unknowns, in the seasons of trial, in the seasons of challenge, it reminds us once more of why we needed a Savior to begin with. It reminds us once again that I am not God, but God, Creator of the universe, has sovereignly revealed Himself to us. Praise the Lord. So what do I do? When I don't know how to pray. In the coming weeks, we're going to unpack several focus areas where we can understand uh, how we should and shouldn't pray according to the teachings of Jesus. But what I'm referring to here is when I just don't even know what to pray for. When we or someone we care about is in a moment of distress or crisis. When we encounter a trial that we have no idea where to turn. When we feel something is missing but just don't know how to put words to it. What do we do? And this, if you get nothing else out of today, I want you to write this down, take a picture of it, whatever you need to do to internalize this. And we're going to see Romans 8 unpacks this. This is just a summary of what we're going to see in Romans 8. How do I pray when I don't know how? Acknowledge sin, recognize weakness, and long for eternity. Acknowledge sin, recognize weakness, and long for eternity. Now, I want us to say this together, just to re-solidify it 
and to invite you into participation with me in this. Okay, so I'm going to count to three and we're going to read that statement below where it starts with acknowledge sin. Okay, I want to hear us speak each one of these out. All right, here we go. One, two, three. Acknowledge sin, recognize weakness and long for eternity. Romans chapter eight. Is one of my absolute favorite passages in scripture. And it falls really, some, some people have called Romans 8 the heartbeat of the New Testament. Where it lies right in the center of this gospel message. But there's so much here, and we're only going to focus on verses 18 through 30 today. But there's so much, I challenge you this week, if you are not following any kind of regular devotional schedule, uh, I challenge you to read Romans 8 every day this week and just immerse yourself into this text. It is so full of hope and challenging reminders. Romans was written to the church. Everyone say the church. It's written by the Apostle Paul. And he instructs them in all kinds of theology. And theology simply being our view of who God is, an explanation of that. And if you don't know who Paul is, you have another assignment. Okay, don't Before you read Romans 8, go and read Acts 9 this week. And you'll encounter a man named Saul who encountered Jesus directly and was transformed. So if you don't know who Paul is, you need to start in Acts 9, figure out who Paul is, and then come to Romans 8 and read Romans 8. But Paul here is writing really to encourage the church. And ultimately in Romans 8, what we see is the role that the Spirit of God plays in our weakness. And, church, the Spirit of God, we, we believe in a Trinitarian Godhead who is one God in three equal parts, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All, each one distinct and yet each one equally divine. And the Holy Spirit in this is just as much God as the Father and the Son. But so often we just discard and kind of, it's like the forgotten third wheel. Who's just along for the ride and we know they exist, but we don't really ever acknowledge the power and the working of the Spirit in the church. And that is to our own detriment. And so, starting in verse 18, I want to read through verse 30, and then I want to just outline and identify what we're seeing here in answer to our question, how do I pray when I don't know how? What, what do I do? And where do I begin? So, starting in verse 18, this is what it says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. Everyone say hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. 
And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Everyone say patience. That's a word we really don't like. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Father, thank You for the truth of Your Word. Thank you for the ability to read it in our own language. Father, we in this moment even consider the treasure that it is and pray that you would continue the work of faithfully bringing your word to the nations all over the world that don't have it. And God, in this moment, may we relish the opportunity to sit under its authority and its counsel and grow to be more like Jesus and pursue the mission that you have called us to as your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I don't know how to pray, the first thing that we should recognize, church, is that this is not how things should be. Verses 19 through 22 paint a grim picture of the world around us. Verse 22 specifically, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. This is not simply a mourning cry, church. This is a cry for transformation. A cry for change. Recognize that this also is a cry with hope and anticipation. Verse 20, for the creation was not subjected to futility, was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. What is that hope? Verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now understand here that the imagery that Paul uses to describe this is a beautiful picture of the pains of childbirth. The groaning is in the pains of childbirth. And we recognize even as a community that in the midst of childbirth, pain and anguish set in. And yet there is a hope in looking to what comes on the other side of this pain that brings about a sense of joy and motivation in the midst of the pain. Now, I am in no way claiming that I have any understanding of this church. Okay? 
Do not take this to assume that somehow I am interpreting all of what a woman experiences when they endure childbirth. For that, you need to talk to my wife. Okay? All right? But understand that what we can mutually understand in this is the hope in the midst of the pain. And my goodness, when that child is born, the pain seems to take a back seat, right? And in that moment, you relish in the gift of life. And so when we think about the imagery that all creation is groaning, it should bring us to a place of going, this is not how things should be. And that's what the following verse in verse 23, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly. Everyone say eagerly. We wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Do we like creation? Recognize that this is not how it should be. Is that the first truth that comes to mind in the midst of our greatest need? When we watch the news and see life taken over petty, worthless disputes, do we recognize that this is not how it should be? When we see the poverty gripping not only other parts of the world, but right here in our own backyard, do we stop and groan at the utter ruin around us? And in the midst of the groaning, do we do so with anticipation, eagerly longing for God to redeem that which is broken? When I don't know how to pray, I should start by reminding myself and recognizing this is not how God intended things to be. And it is the brokenness of our sin that has led to the brokenness we see around us, church. And it reveals in the midst of that our own desperate need for a redemption we cannot bring about on our own. And that should cause us to internally groan in anguish like the pain of childbirth as we long for and anticipate that which God will make new for all of eternity. And we look towards that with hope. When I don't know how to pray I need to start by recognizing that in the midst of whatever circumstance I'm in, we go, this is not how it should be. Secondly, when I don't know how to pray, recognize that we are weak. Everyone say weak. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, you are weak. Okay? And now all of you together say, I am weak. Okay, none of us are exempt from this family. And that's not my words. Let's look here. Verse 26. 
Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. I'm going to pause there for a second. If the Spirit is needed to help you, it means you are not self-sufficient. We can't do it alone, church. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. The very category that defines our need for the Spirit's help is that we're weak. And so when I don't know how to pray, it should take me back to this place of going, I am weak. Church, let me tell you, there is great strength when we admit that we are weak. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when you are prone to say, I am the strong person, I'm the pillar in my family, we should heed the warnings of Scripture and say, let he who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Paul's very instruction where he says, God's power is made perfect in what? Weakness. Everyone say weakness. This is another thing we're really bad at. We are really bad at admitting we are weak people. And we're really bad at admitting there is strength in weakness. And you're going, that makes no sense. It does. When you recognize that your own weakness is a testimony that you are not God. Because then it allows God to intersect with your weakness. And that's where power comes from. In this passage where it says, I don't know how to pray as I ought, I, I, challenge, I was challenged by that and I thought, what often motivates how we do pray? What makes us think that we do know how we should pray? Because this doesn't give any kind of stipulation to say, well, some of you don't know how to pray as you ought to. It doesn't say, uh, you know, those of you young in your faith don't know how to pray as you ought. In fact, I would argue in many ways my children teach me more about prayer than I know because it's innocent and it's real. They haven't gotten into those unhealthy habits yet like I have. You want to learn how to pray, teach your kids to pray and listen to what they're saying. And they're having a real conversation with the Lord. But James chapter 4 verse 1 through 3 is interesting when we think about this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Listen to this. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And I read that this week and I thought, what a fantastic description of how we so often pray. God, I want this. I would like this to happen. God, if you could open these doors, that would be nice. 
God, I would really like just a little bit more in my bank account for security. God, if you could pay off this debt, I would be super grateful. And in the midst of that, I'm not saying any one of those things intrinsically is wrong, but what is at the core of our motivation? What is at the root of this? Is it that I'm truly praying that God's will would be priority? Or is it that I'm really asking to spend it on my own passions? Romans 8 would identify we don't know what to pray for as we ought to pray. Which means we have a lot of growth and learning to do, church family. And I am with you in the midst of this. The third thing this morning, when I don't know how to pray, I should recognize that God has given us the helper. This is back to really the beginning portion of verse 26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to what? Speak it out. The will of God. Now that's a big contrast from what James says we often ask for, isn't it? We ask wrongly to spend it on our own passions and the Spirit identifies it goes you don't you don't you don't know how to pray you don't know how to do it as you should and the spirit intercedes according to the will of God the father now intercede is really just a big word for stands in the gap the spirit stands in the gap for the follower of Jesus now some of you might go well okay when when did that take place what what is the Spirit's work? What is, what is the Spirit? And as we talked about earlier, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead, equally divine in power and authority. In fact, earlier, or in, within Romans 8, if you read that, what you will see is, this is the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, that dwells in you. In John 16, Jesus identified and said, It's to your advantage that I leave. Because if I go away, the Helper, if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And you see, the promise of the Holy Spirit is the sealing mark of God's promise of life on your life. One of the Theological concepts within Romans chapter 8 is this idea of adoption. In verse 23, if you glance at that, it says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. And we miss this oftentimes. And to summarize a very vast theological concept for you, this is one of the greatest hopes we've been given. Simply put, when you choose to put your faith in Jesus, when you surrender your life to Christ, 
The Spirit is the seal on your adoption papers and no one can remove that seal. Now, your adoption is not yet complete. It's sealed. It's final. There's no going back. But your adoption isn't complete until you're present with your Father. And so from the day you are adopted into the family of God until the day that Jesus returns or you breathe your last breath, you are at war with your own passions. But for you to stop and consider that God has given you the greatest gift in salvation and it is not a, oh great, you prayed a prayer, that's done. That begins a journey And it's at that moment that we would identify and say, you have been baptized by the Holy Spirit who now dwells in you and seeks to direct you back to God in accordance with His will. Powerful, powerful truth. And so when I don't know how to pray as I ought to, when I I know I need to pray but I don't know how, I should not only recognize this is not how it should be, God, I am weak, God. But then to stop and realize, God, you have given me a helper. Help me to listen to him. And then trust that the Spirit has already been interceding on your behalf, even when you don't know what to say. Church, God has never expected you to know everything. He expects us To depend on the one who does. When we choose to live a prayerless life, we either A, don't recognize the sinfulness of the world. B, don't recognize our own weakness and inability to ask and pursue godliness as we should. Or C, both. The worst of those two. When I don't know how to pray, I should fall back into the comforting arms of the very one I'm praying to, through the help of His own Spirit that dwells within us. But this isn't all. And this is where the most hopeless of situations should intersect with the greatest hope we have been given. When I don't know how to pray, I should recognize that the end is far better. There's many people who quote Romans 8.28 on its own. And if you do that, you are doing a disservice to yourself. And I'm going to explain that. Romans 8.28, it says this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. How many of you have heard that before? God works all things for good. There's more. Don't stop there. And don't start there. There's more. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He, He being Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. Those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Church family, the biggest detriment 
the biggest mistake you can make when you come to Romans 8.28 is to take the approach that this verse means that every hurtful, painful, trial, aching, miserable thing you're experiencing now, God's going to use for your earthly benefit. You may live your whole life with a trial that is debilitating. But that does not mean that God is any less present in your life through Christ. You may feel that because the circumstances in your life just aren't getting better, that God is not present. That's so far from the truth. And yet when we throw a verse like this around, we make people think somehow if you just prayed more, if you just were more spiritual, if you just went to church more, if you did all the things right, then somehow life's going to be good. And some of you have tried doing that and life is still hard. Why is that? It's because God has never been about the temporary. God has always been about that which lasts and is eternal. If we go back to verse 18, listen to what Paul says. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's not worth comparing. It means it's not even close. And so often, in the midst of our hardest seasons, and we go, I don't know how to pray because I feel like I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed and nothing's happening. So often, church, we have, we have fixated our eyes on the temporary. And this is what Colossians 3 tells us. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life, listen to that, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Church, things are not the way that they should be. They're not the way they should be in your own life. They're not the way they should be in my life. Because I'm still a sinner. A sinner who's longing for the day that I don't have the battle with my flesh. But church, this is temporary. This will not last. The horizontal relationships that you have with people on this earth, they will not last. That All that lasts is that which is vertical. (laughs) And we have missed this to where we begin praying for the horizontal. And again, I'm not saying that we should stop praying for those who are sick. I'm not saying that we shouldn't trust the Lord when we're going through hard, difficult, challenging times. Absolutely, because we are weak and we need His help. But if we are waiting and our faith is rooted In what we see. Romans 8 talked about that too. 
24, for in this hope we were saved. What hope? The hope of adoption, the finalization. Hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? You don't look around you. You, you sitting here today aren't sitting here going, I kind of hope I make it to church today. Why? Because I'm already here. But what we do hope for is that which has yet to come. And I'm here to tell you today, some of you sitting here, you may be sitting here going, I don't, I don't really even understand what you're talking about. This whole spirit leading and interceding on our behalf. And I'm going to tell you the reason you probably don't really understand what I'm talking about is because you probably haven't made a decision to surrender your life to Jesus. The only way that we receive the helper is through Christ. The only way that we can daily recognize our need to fix our eyes on that which is above is through Jesus. And here's the truth. You will leave here today choosing to follow Jesus or choosing not to. There's no middle ground. And for every single one of you, the opportunity is still the same. To choose to believe in the name of Jesus to be saved. John 14, 6, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God the Father but through Him. You can make that decision today, right now. But if you choose not to, you're going to step back into a world where there is no lasting hope. There's not. And you're going to wonder, what's the point? And I'm going to tell you, (laughs) we have to intersect the brokenness of this world the unknowns that we're experiencing right now with the sovereignty of God who knows all things and who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And cling to Him, fixing our eyes on that which is above, not that which is on earth. Now in closing, I want to give you really practical ways because some of you hear this and you go, okay, theologically I understand these things, but practically speaking, where the rubber meets the road, what do I do? What, what do I do? And I'm that way. Tell me what to do. Okay? Here's what Scripture says. The first and probably the most important is this. When you don't know how to pray, be still. Some of you, your coping mechanism is to keep yourself busy. Stop it. All that's doing is filling all the gaps in time where you can stop and reflect on who God is and what He has called you to. In our digital age, this has become increasingly challenging. It used to be you left the office and the phone stayed there. Make that still the case. I've said this before. There's an off button on these things. Shut it off. You want a further challenge in how to be still? Don't keep your phone in your bedroom. Get an old alarm clock. They still exist. And put your phone out somewhere far away. And then wherever you used to charge your phone on your nightstand, put your Bible there. It's really simple. You know why I say that? Because I don't care how disciplined you are, 
you roll out of bed in the morning and that thing's sitting there. Or worse yet, before you're even awake, well, you start hearing ding, 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 whoop, ding. What are you going to do? Oh, man. What, I, all right. Here we go. Starting the day. What am I doing? I'm busy now. I'm busy. And everything that I went to bed, stewing over, worrying over, anguishing over, all that's just now in the background, muddled under my busyness. Psalm 37, 7 says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Psalm 46.10, many people know this one. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the, among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Psalm 62.5 says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from Him. When you don't know how to pray as you should, be still. Take time to stop and be still. Secondly, pray scripture. If you don't know where to go for this, start in the Psalms. And what do I mean by this? I mean you open a Psalm and you read it and you pray what the Psalm says. Pray God's word. It doesn't have to be Psalms. It could be anywhere. Pray scripture. Have that be part of your devotional time. When you don't know how to pray as you should, just open God's word and start praying the very word of God. It's a safe bet, okay? Trust me. Thirdly, when you don't know how to pray as you should, allow the spirit to guide you back to the father. And I believe that that will take place if you're willing to put into practice the first two. In all of these things, how do I pray when I don't know how? I acknowledge sin. Acknowledge my weakness, my need for a Savior. And then I stop and I remind myself this is not eternal. And I choose to long for that which my hope is rooted in. And maybe your hope today is rooted in the temporary. And I want to challenge you to change that perspective because it will let you down every single time. But there is a God who intersects with our weakness and He knows the depths of what you are struggling with today. And He has offered salvation through His Son that is available to all people. But it's your choice whether you will surrender or not. Church family, may we together acknowledge the brokenness of our world, recognize our own weakness, fixate on eternity, and depend fully upon God the Father for all that sits unknown today. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, you are good, you are gracious to us, you are holy, you are righteous, you have given us salvation in Jesus' name. 
God, may we be still before you. And in the stillness, in the silence, to know you are present. God, that we would surrender our control and fix our eyes fully upon the one who has given us life eternal. Father, may you restore our hope, not in the things of this world, but in you today. That we would leave here rejoicing because that which has been given to us in Christ can never be taken away, God. And may our joy and hope in the midst of trials be rooted in that truth. God, we give you all praise and all glory because there is none other worthy of that. All of this through the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.